Hey, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flegel. And this is the second part of our interview with Debbie Freeze. What does life look like for someone who suffered years of horrible abuse by members of the Church of Satan, but is being healed by Jesus? As Debbie shares fascinating stories of how God's radical, sacrificial generosity and love are flowing in and through her, we are confident her stories will amaze you as she and Andy talk about how God is using them to heal and transform the lives of the people around them. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get back into her story. So I have all these personalities, and at one point it was like 240 now they call it dissociative identity disorder. But a lot of people now, it's kind of trendy to have that. So I still say multiple personality disorder because when I got diagnosed and went through all the testing, that's what they diagnosed me as. And to me, that's more along the lines of what I have. I All of my alters have names. They all are different. So now I'm, I'm under 30 now. So I've done a lot of integrating in the last while. But my kids are very, um, I have young personalities. My kids are very, they're very fond of. And we do a lot of Disney trips and Pokemon. And I usually have Disney clothing on because it's just a balance for me. Uh, My kids would probably be devastated if I integrated a couple of the young personalities because they they hang out with them. I have a six-year-old personality that's very colorful, very sassy. All my kids would be very devastated if she was gone. Yeah, so when you started coming over three years ago, one of the things that happened was, we've, well, we've known you forever, but then we always realized that the little ones inside needed a dad, and Debbie's had that awful experience of Christians over and over and over again saying, we'll be with you, we'll care about you, we'll love you, except when it comes to the time of sacrifice. Right. If they have to give up something, if they have to give up their schedule, if they have to get up late at night, if they miss a couple of hours of sleep, if it costs them a little bit of money, if it creates an awkward moment in a conversation, mm. if their friends or their family go, wait, what? Uh, you, you're doing what? Are you spending money on, on, on who? Then Christians oftentimes will choose what seems yeah, socially acceptable as opposed to the radical love that Jesus gives. So when April and I were talking with Debbie, we were just lamenting that, you know, time and again, she's had people come to her and say, I would love to love the little girls inside of you and be a mom or a dad in that adoptive sense and really care for them and love them and pray for them so that they can get healed. I mean, if you saw a six-year-old horribly traumatized by 12 adult men, would you not do something? And the sad thing is, is that most Christians have said to Debbie, no, I won't. And we just said yes. So we made a room that's all pink and has Disney everywhere. And that, uh, you know, we play games and watch Disney movies in colors. And we got a light bright last weekend. And, you know, and we do fun stuff and go to Pokemon events and take her to Disneyland and love her in the way that she really needed to be loved, just like Jesus would. So that sort of reparenting is a has been a, a gift to our family, a profound gift to our family and to our church. And then, you know, uh, Debbie's husband Dave is just thrilled, and and April and I couldn't be more happy. And our kids just love Debbie 
she's always been Auntie Debbie, and now Debbie's six-year-old Alter Paige. Now my my two boys get to have a sister who has a lot more money than most six-year-olds and can do fun stuff. So it is it is a outrageously good time, and it is sacred and beautiful. But it's different, and so it's sure. very hard to explain to people, like, why are these two married people out together? Most of the time, I'm a, I'm a child. <laughs> I figured I would never get married because I was very damaged. By the time I left, it was a very high role in, in the satanic world. And still to this day, and it's been 30 years since I've gotten out, I still get followed. I still have people that want me and... I'm the prize. And so that freaks people out. And then people are like, oh, no, that's scary. No, we can't do that. And I'm like, Jesus is bigger. Satanists take church membership super seriously. (laughs) When you say, so they they follow you, is that why you're not alone also? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I don't want to go into a lot of how everything works. But because I left, my position cannot be filled unless I am there to pass it on. So for 30 years, they have been struggling. Well, now, because I'm from the Valley, now that I come here, we have all the slow people that follow me and we do prayer retreats. They'll sit outside and pray against us. They'll make noise. But also I don't live in fear because I know the power of prayer and I can see their attacks, which makes it a lot easier for me. When I first got out, the pastor at the college that I was attending took me to this church and they had a spiritual warfare like they would pray for people. I ended up moving in with a couple from that church and all I did was go to therapy, like deal with the personalities, get a lot of medical testing because my brain waves, my whatever is different with different personalities. Some are left-handed, some can't see. It's very bizarre. So I lived with them, so I would go to prayer and go to therapy forever. And I thought, I'm never getting married. This is my life. I'm crazy. And then my my husband, and we've been married 30 years, he came to a prayer night. He wanted to learn how to pray for people. God, like, literally said, that's who you're marrying. And we ended up getting married, and all I wanted was to be a mom my whole life. That was the only thing I wanted was to be a mom, to have something that was mine. Because being adopted, I always felt... Like, I didn't belong. They liked home-baked cookies, and I really just wanted an Oreo. And I loved Disneyland, and they were like, we'll go once every 15 years. You know, it was things like that where I was just like, these people, I don't get them. And because of the abuse that I had suffered, because of the amount of times that I was forced to have abortions, my, my body was, like, wrecked. And the doctors just said... I had four miscarriages. They said, you cannot have children. And my adoptive mom said, no, Jesus gives us the desires of our heart. And the desire of your heart is to be a mom. So believe that you will have a child. And I had Zed. And all of a sudden, when Zed was in junior high, he started picking up the guitar and singing. And I was like, no way is he giving me like worship. And I will say that worship is one of the like biggest tools against the enemy. Because when I oh, when I was getting prayer at the church, I couldn't say the words they wanted me to say, but I could sing the songs, and I would throw up and cough and get all the things out. And, and I, I really get frustrated with 
Christian churches nowadays, the last like decade where it's like, oh, that's a love song to Jesus. We can't sing that. Or that's a, that's not what we want to project. And we can't sing that song because heaven doesn't, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes there. All the rules about worship. And I'm like, you people are nuts. If you knew what worship does on the other side, you would not have any of these rules because some people, that's the only way they can pray, honestly, is to sing a song. So all of a sudden Zed became this worship guy. And I, I literally was like, oh, Jesus gave me this, like, I got a guy that worships all the time. I didn't even know he was good. <laughs> to be honest, I was just like, thank you, Jesus. I have this guy that will play the piano and sing all day. And and now that's what he does. And it's kind of like flipping off the, the coven, you know, like, hey, not only did I get to have kids, but I got a worship leader. <laughs> and so, so that's kind of one of those things that is special for me. Right. All of my kids are very special and unique, and, and so that's been really great. I will say that this is like the only time in my life that I've wanted to be involved in a Christian community has been at Coastal and what's going on in the church. When I first got out of the occult, the, the family that took me in, they got kicked off of being elders. They went through a lot with their family. People referred to me as a witch, which is not what I was, but that was the Christian term that people would use. So they took a lot of heat and I didn't realize how much till years later, but God bless them. And they made over $2 million during the time I lived with them. And they joke now, they would joke for years and say like, can you move back in? And so every time that somebody has like been obedient to help me, no matter if it's people are saying not to or whatever, for whatever reason, God blesses them financially. So with Coastal, you know, we were talking and I said, I just don't understand why the church holds money. Like you have all this money and they said, well, we might need it. And I said, spend all of the money in the deacon fund and trust that God, if there's a need, is going to give you more money. I'm like, you don't have any faith if you think... You have to hold on to it because God can't give you more. That's scarcity. Like, let's not do that. And so every single time that they have gotten the money down, they keep getting more money and they keep getting more money. The church in gifting and different things last year, $180,000 was gifted that went to people in the church and people outside the church. In January, somebody wrote a check for $183,000. The entire amount that was from last year. And I said, see, Jesus wants this. You're being obedient to to help people and people want to know that they are doing good, not that their money's sitting in a church trust for maybe this might happen later. And so I really respect the fact that this church is having faith. Coastal, we have faith and we spend all the money and we're helping people. And and so my big thing is now I'm just like, what do you need? What do you need? We, We had one prayer retreat and literally we had 12 people five of them admitted that they were about to be homeless. One guy talked the entire time, didn't mention it at all, and then said, oh, my son's coming. He was in a sober living place. And I said, oh, can we get him a hotel for the weekend so he can enjoy his son? And he goes, no, my son's moving in with me. I have nowhere to go because I can't have him live there. And I was, I just lost it. And I don't cry. That's one of the things that was taken from me, being abused how I was. Tears were weakness. So it's very, if I cry, it's a big deal. And I just broke down and I'm like, this guy just came is asking for help and and never even mentioned that I'm about to be homeless with a teenager. And we got him housing, got the, another family housing, all five people, we got housed, we got furniture, we, everything just keeps falling in line. So then, well, so on top of that, I'm talking to all of the 
property managers in the area, two of which go to our church, the two largest property managers in our area, in the Five Cities area. And they're like, yeah, we've been down this road 20 different times with different churches, and at the end of the day, no property owner will allow somebody that doesn't have a bank account, that doesn't have a, you know, that has a record, that has issues in their life. They'd prefer the straight-laced 800 credit score, $200,000 in the bank person to rent their property rather than this person who's a good person, but they just don't have that story. And uh, I said, so what's the alternative? And they said, well, the only alternative is that somebody in your church would underwrite and co-sign the, the property, but no church has ever done that. And so I mentioned that to the elder board, and then one elder just says, oh, I'll do that. Well, and this guy now has his son living with him. He's gotten off parole. He's gotten his license. He works two jobs. He goes to every men's Bible study, every He's worship night. He's celebrate recovery. He's... He's happy. I mean, it's it's just he's, amazing. He's about to buy his first truck, and so then I'll get my car back, which I lent him. The things that are happening are just spectacular, and it's the difference between like, oh, thoughts and prayers, and no, yeah. I'm going to radically love you. <laughs> and I think that... that out sacrificial of, love. Sacrificial love, and out of the horrific abuse that Debbie experienced, and at the same time seeing that these people who would abuse her would sacrifice everything in order to help each other in the satanic church. Debbie always lamented to me, if Christians could just do that, if they could just sacrifice and love each other and really truly say, okay, I'm, I'm going to give up, you, you know, I, I have 10 grand in the bank and I'm going to give up just $1,000 to help somebody. It's not going to make me more happy or less happy but if they just deal with that momentary anxiety and then they give $1,000 to somebody and watch their life dramatically change, what could happen? And that's what our church is doing. And it is bananas what is happening in our church. I mean, the, it's story after story after story after story every week of how people's lives are being dramatically changed just in terms of practical help. Not to mention the discipleship, the healing that's happening the worship that's happening, how people are giving their lives to Christ, the baptisms. It's a wonderful place, and Debbie's been a huge part being someone who says, here's a, here's a vision, here's a goal, and then behind the scenes, with nobody really knowing, then pushing forward and going, hey, psst, uh, do that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, razzle-dazzle happens. <laughs> we actually were going to call our prayer retreats razzle-dazzle because that was like our code name for years. This Wednesday was the first time that I have like said, this is my idea, we're doing this. I usually just tell people, I tell Zed, oh, you should do this many hymns and then do this and do that. And I tell Andy, oh, you shouldn't say that, you should do this. And I, and, but I, I just am in the background. And then I was like, you know what, they, they still like me, so I'm going to keep trying. And it's awful for me. I get terrified, but we'll get there. <laughs> you were terrified coming here today. I was terrified. I was like, mm. how is it now? No, it's good. I'm good. That was always my biggest thing. What he said, I would say, if Christians could just act like Satanists, without you know, not the abusive part, but the like, constantly together. It doesn't matter the time of day, and that's one thing that I'm trying to teach people that can you sacrifice time? Can you wake up in the middle of the night when somebody's suicidal? Can you go give somebody twenty bucks for gas when it's raining and you're cozy in bed? Can you do these things like? It's all good to say all the words, but when it comes down to it, if you're not doing it, it's 
what's the point? If if that's what you want people to see of Jesus is that we say things and then we don't have the actions. Don't do it in Jesus name because that's, that's embarrassing. And we don't, I mean, we all celebrate the garden of Gethsemane and he sweat blood and he said, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, he had to make a choice to be obedient with no guarantee what was going to happen on the other side and sacrifice. And then, oh, just happens to be the salvation of the world. That's what it looks like to love people. Of like, I'm stressed and anxious right now about the potential of what this might cost me. But I'm going to move past that and be obedient. And then, in that faith, then God goes, boom. Well, you're really encouraging me because... I have been praying for years that by the end of my life I, I, I will be the reverse tithe, that I'll be living on 10% and giving away 90 I can't tell you how many people look at me like I'm crazy. So like in our budgeting right now, I have a goal to get us to 50-50, like that 50% is going out to local and global mission, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that we're living on 50% of our budget. And so I'm pushing the envelope Every, like, we have this budgeting, and every month it's increasing, the amount going out. Little by little, like, not what crazy what you guys are talking about, but for us, we're very small. But, yeah, I'm pushing that. My goal is once we get to 50, then the goal is 90-10, right, Mm -hmm. for the church community. That's my goal for my life and for the church community as Mm -hmm. a whole. I'm both encouraged and convicted, and there's one and the same for me, because my version of conviction, what I believe conviction is when it comes to God, is simply the question, can I take that from you? Can I carry that for you? Mm-hmm. Like, you're carrying things I've never asked you to carry. Can you? The word, we keep talking about surrender. That, to me, is everything. That's vulnerability. That is transparency. Mm-hmm. Constantly receiving and constantly giving. I tell people, now, that's the picture of the Trinity, before there was a, a creation, what was the Trinity doing in their community? Wasn't it fully giving themselves to each other and fully receiving and accepting each mm-hmm. other? Like the thing that's just hit me recently that God's blowing my mind is we're called the bread of Christ and we're now we're married into this family that we come from another family, you know, that as adoptees, right? You come from a family into this new family and the dynamics of this new family are just radically different. As the bride of Christ, we're now adapted into this triune family that's always giving and receiving. And we're like, we're not used to this culture, <laughs> you know? So, And I will say, I just, this is a side note. I think it's really, it was really hard for me and a lot of people that I've talked to when churches use the term adopted by Christ. It's a really hard yes. um, concept because yes. then you're like, oh, so I'm like not, I don't fit. Right. Um. So there's a lot of church phrases that drive me crazy and like only make sense if you've grown up in a church. But when yeah. you're trying to reach other people, they're like, what are you talking about? So yes. that that kind of stuff. I mean, I would love to come back and talk about free will and how that affects <laughs> people, because that's like our big. I don't think people understand how much free will affects your faith and how affects other people's faith and how People can totally wreck your life, and it has nothing to do with your choices. I've always had a problem, especially growing up with the word adoption. I was like, uh, all adoption meant to me was I didn't fit, and I didn't belong, and you were tolerating me, at best. You know, so that was how I grew up with a God. You know, we went to church. 
And so, yeah, that language, it's a word that because of how adoption is viewed now versus how adoption was viewed in biblical times is very different. So it can be a very triggering word. When I was 16, I went in a mental hospital. Massive suicide attempt. They said, hey, are you adopted? That was the first question anyone asked me. And on the unit that I was in, it was an adolescent unit, 18 of the 21 mm-hmm. kids that were adopted. And that that's just like a common thing. And so Ooh, when people yeah. ask me like, oh, should I adopt? If you're not willing to admit that they are going to feel abandoned, I mean, your own mother gave, gives you away. There had to be something wrong with you. That's just mm-hmm. the subconscious thing of everybody that's adopted. I did something wrong. I wasn't cute enough. I wasn't happy enough. I wasn't healthy enough. So Mm. a mother didn't want me. And everybody, oh, mother's love, a mother's love, which I understand because I love my children immensely. But for me, seeing God as a father was really hard. So I started saying, I will see God as a shepherd Mm. instead of as a father. Now I can say that, but I have altars inside of me that cannot say that they do not want God to be their father because I mean I didn't tell you all of my story but for whatever reason my I ended up in a relationship with my biological father who he knew I was his daughter I did not know he was my father for years years and years until I got out and that messed me up in all kinds of different ways but we don't have time for that but I just wanted to say that that word and even the father thing changing the grammar and being like He's a shepherd. He comes and finds me when I'm lost. That helped me a great deal to see Jesus in a different light. Adopted children are going to deal with abandonment. And it's a lot of what I try to help people with mm-hmm. and pray for. And Because with the abandonment comes rejection and the shame. And there was something wrong with me and I'm never good enough. And inadequacy and insufficiency. All the things that you think are just words are actually spiritual entities. So... Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean I'm I'm with you on that one. Actually it's kinda nice to be in the room with someone where I'm not the only not feeling like I'm trying to convince everyone else of something that I've experienced mm-hmm. yeah. myself. So that's nice. Yeah, the, like, we've talked before about the stats. Adoptees are three times more likely to struggle with mental health, with suicidal ideation, with depression. And the church has done a horrible job of addressing it, unfortunately. Because the word is used in the Bible, and they don't look at the historical context. At one point, it was done within, you know, the Roman Empire, the which was when Paul was addressing the issue. It was done not to babies, not to little kids. It was done to full-grown adults or near adults, so there was a choice. And it was a matter of inheritance. It was families who are like, oh, we don't have anyone that's suitable to inherit our title, our citizenship, our money. Well, then there were families who, you know, if you weren't the firstborn, you were surely out of luck. So what they would do is they say, hey, well, I've got this other son who's meets all the requirements that you want, but he's not going to inherit, so he's not going to get anything. Or we're going to have to split the inheritance into so many sections that it's not going to be worth anything. So then our families would go like, hey, we will take you, we will raise you, we will give you our name, and you will become the inheritor. But you did have to choose. You had, you were allowed a choice, which is the one mm-hmm. thing I think for a lot of adoptees that is so huge is everyone else's choices affected us hugely and we were never given a voice. 
Debbie's taught me that the word or the phrase I choose probably weighs more than any other phrase or any other verb in in our life. And what happens when we get hurt is that oftentimes we hand over our will, our power to choose what we want to our victim status, to our abusers, to our habits. And so it's so, yeah. so beautiful mm -hmm. to be able to reclaim that in Jesus and say, I'm a beloved son, I'm a beloved daughter, and I get to choose this new way of living. For the second episode in a row, Andy Rock gives us the perfect place to end this part of the discussion, which means there's going to be another part. So please make sure you come back for part three as Debbie continues to share her incredible journey with us. Until then, if you have any questions or prayer requests, you can contact me by email, kurt at elevateslo.com. We would also encourage you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel because there you can leave comments and we can interact as a community on that platform. And last, before we go, please remember from God's perspective, you are his beloved, so be loved. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.